start. Thank you. So good evening again, everybody, and welcome back. So we did last night, we were in Colossians, and we talked about the need to keep seeking things above, and we talked about the need in the midst of that to set our minds on things that will focus our minds, and until that becomes part of our muscle memory, until it just starts to flow out of us without having to think about it, because we're trying to be subversive to the, to the empire. We're trying to be subversive to this world and the way that we're being taught to live, and the only way to do that is to focus on the kingdom of God. So here's my question, and I, and I wanted to do this last night, and I'm not sure why I didn't. I think we were just done. Uh, but does, I actually have a couple more thoughts on this that I want to put on before we dive into this passage again. And I just want to see if you had any. So I know not everybody was here last night, but maybe some of you left and you talked about it more, or you really wish that you could have said something in the midst of us being here together. Are there any comments and or questions? If they're not, that's fine, but I just want to give you space to, to state your thoughts relative to the topic. Did I ever get a new well? I wondered if, I wondered if people were going to wonder about our well situation. So nine years into my quest, we found somebody that was willing to come out and show us where he thought water was on the property. And at that point, we were ready to trust anybody who thought they might know where water was on the property. And as those guys came out with a drill, an old-fashioned drill, and they were just taking their time, going down foot by foot, I mean, it was a stressful afternoon for us. And praise the Lord, they found water. Yeah, so we, we have water every day. But I tell you what, I still, I'm very aware of it. You know, it's, a, it's something I'm actually very, very worshipfully thankful for every day. As is the case with anything that you take for granted that all of a sudden you don't have anymore, when you get it back, sometimes you start to treat it differently, <laughs> right? Water is a big deal. Yes, it is. My in-laws are actually here tonight. They were over on a number of occasions, I think, when we ran out of water <laughs> and wondered why they gave their blessing to me marrying their daughter. <laughs> yeah. What else? Anything else? I had remembered a quote from A.W. Tozer that I started thinking about more last night. And he had said that he realized, and A.W. Tozer was a, a theologian, he said he became more and more aware of his need to repent of his over-concern with visible things, to repent of his preoccupation with visible things. And I've just, uh, that, that just has struck me. Not that what goes on around us that's visible and the daily grind that we're a part of in whatever vocational path we're in or educational path or whatever, it's not that that doesn't matter at all or that we shouldn't take it seriously or become as excellent at it as we can. In fact, as we look at Daniel tomorrow night, we're going to see an example of somebody who was an obedient follower of God who was obediently involved in becoming the best at what he did in a very ungodly kingdom. It's not that there's a problem with that. It's just when I'm, when I'm not at all preoccupied with invisible things, when I'm not conscious at all of a different kingdom 
that has already begun to unfold among us. And Jesus said, I'm coming back and everybody's going to see this kingdom come. We ought to spend our time thinking about that. That's what Tozer said. Another thing that I thought about that I didn't say is, and I, again, I became a Christian in the late 80s. So my um, conversion experience in the first years of my Christian life were in the late 80s, early 90s. And I can remember a kind of a huge theme amongst the people that I heard talk was to not be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That just got, to, I don't know if you've ever heard that statement before, but that was really big with the pastors that I listened to and stuff that I read. And I appreciated that, which of course meant that, you know, you don't want to be so detached from culture that you're not actually there as salt and light, that you're not actually there present with people to even be able to be a minister of the gospel. But I feel like what's happened since that time, that was a long time ago, that is a true statement. But if we're not heavenly minded, we won't be any earthly good. Like that's the flip side of it. If you're not thinking at all or enough about heaven and the things that are in the the next kingdom, it won't motivate us to be different in this one. And I kind of wonder if maybe that's more, uh, more reflective of where we're at. Maybe because the Bible's not being read and studied as much as it seemed like it was to me 30 years ago. It's not being held up in the same kind of way that it used to, even in churches. So, okay, I don't want to get off onto all that, but those are just a couple of other thoughts that I had about it. Now, we said that the Colossians were doing good. Again, not everybody was here last night. I don't remember if we have, or I can't tell if we have new people or not, but let's just remind ourselves Colossians were doing good. And Paul said, hey, you guys are growing. Um, I'm getting reports back about fruit amongst you. You're loving each other well. But he's writing them. <laughs> Besides just wanting to encourage them, he definitely wants to point something out. And that is that they're in danger of becoming, of syncretizing or taking their faith in Jesus and attaching it to these other traditions of men like Art wrote about. There, there's these religious traditions that are starting to get in the way and, and muddy up the gospel And there's political traditions. There's the Roman Empire that's considering them traitors. And so they're still kind of partial to maybe trying to be obedient to what they want to be bowed down to as part of the Roman Empire. And Paul just says, oh, you you can't do that. I mean, if you understand who Jesus really is and that he's Lord over all of this, and, and that what you signed up for when you said yes to Jesus was that, that he is the answer to everything, that he is the one that saved you from your sin problem. He is the one that sets you free to live in grace and to, to live out this new kingdom that's coming. You don't need to mess around with trying to discipline yourself and by traditions and, and trying to keep certain rules. You don't have to do that anymore. It's not going to help your spiritual growth. And so we said every empire is trying to capture the imagination of those it's trying to rule. And that was true for the Colossians as much as it's true for us today, that we live in a culture, let's say an empire, but a culture that's trying to capture our imagination, that's competing with the gospel. And so our goal is that we be subversive to that, not to be uh, synchronized with that, to become one with it, but to actually go against it, to live in a way that just cuts against the grain of, of the culture. And we talked yesterday about then the need to focus um, to be subversive by having a focus on things above. Tonight we're going to talk about being subversive by having a new identity. Okay? 
So all that is, a, is an intro. Let's look at Colossians 3 again. Open up to it if you haven't yet. Colossians 3. In fact, will somebody read it for us? Who's got a nice, strong voice tonight that maybe would even stand up and read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 for us, just so we can revisit these passages? Thank you. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Through four. Yep. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ, and then a little further down in verse 3, he says, for you have died, and your life is hidden or secure with Christ. Now, when, this is not um, unique to Paul, this idea of dying in Christ and being raised with Christ. But what he's trying to do is get us to think about our, how we think about ourselves, our identity, okay? And this is just like a fundamental building block for how we think about identity. So let, let's just sit here for a second before we dig deeper into what it means to have died with Christ and to be raised with him. When it comes to identity, identity is a, a huge topic these days, isn't it? How we construct an identity or piece an identity together. When we're talking about identity, that's how we think about ourselves and how we think about ourselves in relationship to other people. And so what are some of the things that are offered up to us these days? And just forget about your, your Christian life. Set that aside. Let's just kind of go back into this empire moment, this cultural moment we find ourselves in. How is this culture teaching us or equipping us to develop an identity? What are some of the ways that we are, are given or the things that we're given that will help us shape an identity for ourselves? Okay, what other people say or think about us. Let's just make a list because there's a whole bunch of them. Let's, let's get our mind going. What other people say and think about us? Your nationality. Okay, there's absolutely something to ethnicity. And that's sort of a background. Yes. Your job. Okay, so vocation has always been a shaper of how we think and feel about ourselves. And, and, and what kind of credibility we have as a result of that job. Right? And even within the same vocation, what our title is inside of, of it. Right? Good. What else? What are, what are some other means? Gender. Gender. Gosh, that's a big one, isn't it, these days? Uh, and we'll come back to that in a second. Gender. Marital status. Marital status. Your education. Still important, still huge. Physical appearance. Physical appearance. Yeah, I had that on my list. Your physical appearance. There's lots and lots of talk about body and embodiment and how we should think about ourselves and, and what we should hold up or not hold up and view as a positive body structure. And it changes too, doesn't it? Choices, okay? Choices that we make. Habits. Different habits that we have. 
good. What else would you put on the list? Okay, where your house is, where it's positioned in the, in the locale. Think about that. Just think about how significant that is. You know about that because you're very intentional about where you put your house, right? Or where you want to be because there's meaning associated with that. Good. What brands you wear, what cars you drive, and all that kind of stuff. And I'd say all that kind of stuff goes back to, I don't remember, somebody said it over there, the whole consumer idea, right? So what we buy, what we have access to buy or not to buy. Uh, you know, pronouns. We talk about gender. Let's think about this, like the whole pronoun controversy that goes on now. I mean, it used to be really, really clear what pronoun would be associated with your gender, and now that's kind of up for debate. It's, it's, it's something that needs to be... Um, Contested, that's the word I'm looking for. How about, guys, you guys haven't said a, just a, <laughs> thank you. You haven't said one that's just like humongous. What type of media you consume, and what do you mean by that when you say that? Yeah, those are like huge conduits of, of messaging to us about how we should think about ourselves. Social media is just huge in shaping the way that we think about ourselves. Uh, it's funny, my friend Eric just walked in. I just told him this story earlier. I was on the, um, what do you call the thing that attaches between the concourse and the airplane? The, the gateway, the jetway, what, which is it? Jetway. jetway. Okay, I was on the jetway, and I was about 50 people back in Texas, sweltering heat, flying to come here. And there was a family that was in front of me, and a dad, a son, and a mom, and, and they were all three talking to each other here in front of me, and we're just we're sweating. It's miserable. It smells. It's just an awful situation to be in. Uh, they have no air conditioning for some reason in this jetway. And uh, the daughter, she's over here on the side, and I'm standing behind her, and we're all kind of mashed together. And then she's got her phone out, and she is taking pictures of herself. And I'm, I'm trying not to be creepy guy. But I, I'm kind of being creepy guy right now because I'm kind of watching her doing it. Like, I don't know what am I going to do. She's taking pictures of herself. And she's, <laughs> sometimes I'm creepy guy, Amy. She's taking pictures of herself. And it's like she's, you know, one time she pulled her hat down a little further and she got a picture of herself. She didn't like that one. She deleted it. So she pulled the hat down and then she got just a little bit of hair and she brought it down here and she did that. And then she kind of did something with her eyes on the next one. And she did like a duck lips one. And she was trying to get different angles. I don't know if she was trying to get me out of it or not, but she was. And she took, I'm not exaggerating, double figures, pictures to post. And I'm just sitting there watching her and I started to get intrigued like well what exactly who are you trying to send a picture to I'd like to help you think about this right now I mean are you trying again you're trying to look sexy right now I mean this is not I don't know what's going on with that but are you trying to look discouraged because she kept changing her face and everything and she was trying to she was she was trying to send a message about who she was right now now, we have this opportunity to do this. And listen, even in saying this, I, I don't look at that and find myself wanting to judge her. Look, she's just doing what all of us have always done. 
in the means and the mediums through which we had access to do it. Nowadays, it's just a million times easier, isn't it, to feel this pressure to try to get likes and to try to get some attention or even just to try to like what I see about myself through this, these devices that allow us to keep changing and manipulating and becoming something different. In, in fact, it doesn't even have to accurately represent who I really am at all. I saw, and I'm going to use this because I haven't pulled this out in a long time. This was maybe 10 years ago, but I mean, we've been, we haven't been moving beyond this. Cloud Girlfriend. Startup offers fake relationships for Facebookers. This was one of the, like early when Facebook was just starting to take off. This was an addition that they were trying to make, this, this site that would create fake relationships. Cloud Girlfriend's tagline is, the easiest way to get a girlfriend is to already have one. The site's San Diego-based co-founder, this is your people. This is another California thing. Okay. No, I know. You're not off from California. That's okay. That's, no, it's okay. Uh, and it goes on, and it's talking about how it's going to distinguish itself um, amongst online platforms. It said, the site is intended to build its customers' self-esteem and confidence. Here was a quote. They can use the site to jumpstart the process of changing social perceptions about themselves. I mean, it's just it's right there. Uh, this interaction can provide real training experiences in navigating a friendship and a relationship. And I kept this because, I, first of all, I thought this was fascinating, and I love studying stuff like this as it comes out. But second of all, this is a lie. It's teaching us to lie about ourselves. And how are you going to develop real intimacy with something that's not even real? And I'm not, even, I'm not criticizing the technology. I'm saying that we're, we're, we're creating this phony relationship. How will you build self-esteem that actually is real in this fake interaction? Okay. So again, the point is not to judge that. We can judge it, I suppose, if we want. The, that's not the point. The point is just that today, maybe more than at any time, we have the means and the access to try to manipulate and construct or create an identity for other people to see. And the problem, there's a million things we could talk about with this, right? What do I hope to achieve as I think about my identity? What, what do I really want? What do I really want? You want to get up here and talk right now, don't you, Jeremy? I know you do. He works with kids as a psychologist. Say it again. We want acceptance. I made a little list for myself. Let's see. Acceptance was on my list. I want to be accepted by other people. What? I want to be known. And actually on my list, I put those two together. I want to be known for who I really am and still be accepted. What else? Security. I want security. Talk about security. What do you mean by security? Because that can mean a bunch of different things. What, what, what does that mean in your mind? Yeah. And they were very uh, significant to 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we want we want the security and the 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 um, just knowing that you're anchored to something, that I'm okay. and that you're okay. Okay. Good. I like that. What else? Power. What do you mean by power? Okay. Good. Affirmation. Which again, that just kind of goes along with, I mean, you want to be liked. I think that goes along with being accepted. How about, I mean, we didn't say the obvious one. I had this at the top of my list. I want to be loved. Yeah. And loved in the kind of way that says, I will accept you just the way you are, brokenness and all. Right? I mean, I think, I think that's true for everybody. We want that. How about forgiven? How about getting some kind of a, some, I know we don't maybe even normally think about this, but that people still have a conscience. Like that's not, it may be getting tamped down in different ways. It may be getting diluted because we're affirming ourselves for our sin. But I think people still know there's something wrong inside. I think people are still very aware of, of, of being uncomfortable with what they are and knowing the choices that they made and damage that they've done in other relationships. And I want to be forgiven. How do, I, how do I get free from that? And so some of my identity construction is maybe even a chase or a, trying, t- trying to run away from my past or trying to run away from things that I know are true about me. If I can just convince everybody else that I'm okay, maybe it can become true. What else? Anything else you want to put on that list for what, what you're trying to do with your own? Influence. Influence. Yeah, you want people to follow you, and why is that? Because innately, we all have a sense of wanting to make a difference. We want there to be a purpose. I mean, there's some other stuff attached to that, but fundamentally, we want to know that we're actually making a difference in the world while we're here. That hasn't changed at the core of who people are. I I put on my list, too, uh, I want the security of knowing what's going to happen when I die. Like there's, a, there's a, a longing and a, a fear, I think, that comes along with the reality of our mortality. So again, sometimes identity construction is about running from that or trying, because I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know where to get answers. I'm going to keep running from that for as long as I can. Well, so of course, you guys, the problem is even as I stood there with that girl, and this is where we're going to get back into this text in a second, the problem is... All, she can take all the pictures in the world, and she's not going to be able to get any of that stuff that I know she fundamentally is after by picking the right picture, by pleasing the right crowd, who will, who will dislike her for something tomorrow if she doesn't show up with the right picture, right? It's just this, it's this chase to construct an identity that will, that will become a salve or a, a healing, have a healing effect on all those issues that I really want to get solved. And it won't work. It's a lie. So let me just say this before we look at what the, what the, the Bible says the answer is for us, which this is great. This is wonderful. It's a wonderful place to start. What this generation doesn't need is for us to become judgmental Again, we need to remember, they just have more access and way more confusion and way more, as G.K. Chesterton said, both feet planted firmly in the air. 
okay? They're experiencing that maybe more than we did. And again, there's lots of generations represented here, but it's been true in every generation that we've had our own ways of trying to construct identity to satisfy those longings that we have that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's why the, the gospel is so satisfying when you finally say yes to it and see what it provides, okay? So one pastor that I just read re recently said the greatest challenge for pastors is to get people to stop relying on their carefully constructed identity and trade it in for their God-appointed identity in Christ. That's the great challenge. And really it's for, for all of us, that's a challenge for pastors, but it's a challenge for us as individuals to not keep going back in some kind of way to, to our individually constructed identity, but to keep leaning further in and deeper into what God says is true about us in the gospel and to believe it and to try to understand it more, even like what we talked about last night, to understand what it means to be in Christ and what that should do for us both in this life and the next. What did Paul say? He said we need to identify with Christ in his buried death. Again, just talking about what we just looked at in this passage. We need to identify with him in his death. It's not simply that he, Christ died for us, but that we died with him. We died with him. So what are we dead to? What's the significance of this? One, that we're dead to the power of sin in our lives. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. Flip over to Romans chapter 6 if you have a Bible. <clears throat> We're just going to talk for a couple minutes about what it means to be buried with Christ. To have died with him. Romans chapter 6, Paul, again, he's saying, well, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Verse 1, are we to continue in sin so that grace can abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. He says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's saying, you're dead to the power of sin. So what does that mean? Again, we're talking about identity. It means, it doesn't mean I won't sin anymore. It doesn't mean I can't sin anymore. It means I don't have to. I don't have to sin anymore. I have the power in me because my sin has been buried with him in death. I have the power to say no to sin, which is a very freeing thing. I have the power to say no to sin. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Flip over a couple books to the right. Galatians chapter 2, and I remember this is one of the first passages the guy that mentored me in school ever took me to, because not only are we dead to sin, but we're also dead to embracing the world's values for how I define myself because of this. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse, oh goodness, I'm in the wrong book here. Verse 20. Some of you probably memorized this verse. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead to sin, but I'm also dead to embracing the world's values for how I define myself. I am now going to so identify with Jesus that I'm going to allow him to live out his values through me. I'm going to start to take on everything that he says is true about me and live that out. In fact, one of the first things that probably needs to happen and that needs to get talked about more is just the need that when you come to Christ, it's like there's a line being drawn in the sand that says now you're going to begin the process of separating yourself from all the stuff you were relying on to think about yourself and the way you constructed an identity before. We're going to start to separate ourselves from that and take on the identity of Christ. What does that mean? He says to identify with Christ, not only do we identify with Christ in his buried death, but we identify with Christ in his raised life. He says right there in Colossians 3 verse 1, if you've been raised up with Christ, and the assumption is that you have, that the people that he's talking to have been raised with Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means that you're going to embrace all that comes with our identity and our position in Christ, not just our condition in the world. So what does that mean? Remember the very first year of my Christian life, somebody explained to me the difference between positional truth and conditional or experiential truth. And what he said was, listen, the Bible lists out dozens, like I've got a list right here of over a hundred of things that the Bible says are declared true about you in Christ because you died with him and now are being raised up into new life. How do we baptize people? We say that very thing, right? You've been buried with Christ and now raised up to new life in him. The Bible says all of these things became true about you in that minute, that God, that God declares these things are true about you. He gives you a new identity. He gives me a new identity. Positionally, in heaven and before him, these things are true. Conditionally, we might not feel them. In our experience, it might take a while before we believe them so that they show up in our life. That doesn't have any effect on the truthfulness of them. That your identity is now in Christ and carries with it all of these characteristics and all of these things that become true. And guess what? Those things just happen to satisfy the most fundamental needs that we listed off for ourselves that our soul needs. The Bible says that we're loved unconditionally in Christ. In fact, let me, let me just read some of these off. And maybe y'all have seen lists like this before. I appreciate people that have done the work of, of just going through the Bible, especially the New Testament, and just looking for all of the statements of new truth in Christ about me, things that are now true about me, that I'm a, I'm a child of God. Uh, I'm Christ's friend. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm assured, I can be assured that all things will work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
I'm confident that God's going to perfect the work that he's begun in me. Let me find this other sheet here. Yeah. I'm adopted as his child. It's like we talked about last night. That, that's a great theme to just understand more. What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? I'm forgiven. I have purpose. Like I was created. The Bible says I was created for good works and a certain purpose that he's keeping me here for and keeping you here for. I have hope. I'm sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I'm salt and light of the earth. We talked about that on Sunday. I'm a minister of reconciliation. That's an identity statement. That part of my purpose, part of the way I can think about myself and my identity is that I'm here to help people know God and be reconciled to him. And frankly, to help people be reconciled to one another. That's an identity statement. What else is on here that jumps out to me? I'm a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That changes the way I think about myself. I can approach God with freedom and confidence and just a gazillion more things. So what difference does that make? Here's a few things that I wrote down for myself. The difference it makes in starting to embrace these things that the Bible says about us as our, for our identity and starting to separate ourselves from these other things. It sets us free from a performance trap. Because again, like what, is, what, is this, what, what does this mean in real life for us? It sets us free from the performance trap. I work with athletes, so it is especially true in the context where I find myself trying to minister, but I've also worked in the church for a long time. And we're plagued by the performance trap, trying to measure up, trying to get acceptance, trying to be liked, trying to do good enough so that I can feel like I'm valued. Well, what all these positional truths wind up adding up to is you're, you're valued completely apart from your performance. You may actually be a better baseball player than this other guy, and that's great, and try to be the best baseball player that you can be. But at the end of the day, your acceptance and your value has been decreed by God as having nothing at all to do with what you do on a baseball field. So go play free. Yeah, what does that mean? It doesn't matter? No. Go play the best you can play, but you're free. Now translate that into other areas of our vocational life or just, again, wherever it is that you find as a mother or, right, different responsibilities that we have where performance has just kind of kept us in bondage. How freeing is it to know that you're accepted? A second thing, the anxiety that comes with comparison, trying to be like someone else. I don't have to do that. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm told that I've been uniquely created for some kind of purpose that no one else is going to be able to accomplish in the way that I will be able to in my journey here on earth. I don't need to try to be like you. I don't have to be jealous that you're good at this, you're good at that, right? The whole body talk that's in the New Testament, that we're all different parts of the body. And so you have value with what did you do. You don't have to compare yourself. Security. A well-founded confidence that everything is going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. 
The fourth thing that I put down here, what difference does it make? That knowing who I am in Christ, knowing who you are in Christ, empowers you to be a giver and not simply a taker. It empowers you to be a giver where you're looking now to see how can you give instead of using all your energy to see what I can get from people. And then fifth, demanding that others fill my identity tank. I don't have to do that anymore. And again, if I, as I look at that list, when I look at us as Christians, again, I don't know any of you folks, and we're all from different backgrounds and go to different churches and hang out with different people. But it just seems like, honestly, again, in, in my spaces, that people don't seem to know their Bible well enough to be able to live in the freedom that comes from having an identity established by dying in Christ, like to literally see that I'm no, I'm no longer bound to this, this life of trying to make something of myself, but I can set that aside and say, God, what do you say is true about me? And I can live in the freedom of that, and it will radically change the way I interact with you. And it would radically change the way that you interact with me. When I see all the chaos that goes on relationally in the churches in our area, and again, I could talk about this for the rest of the night. I'm not going to, but I could. Maybe that could be the topic that I speak on until everybody leaves. <laughs> Why it is that there's over 85 church buildings in my little, me and Amy's little community, little 20,000-person community. There's four churches on a corner in some places. And I honestly believe that a huge reason why that is is because we haven't grown into our identity as Christians. I mean, taking these statements seriously and thought about the effect that they should have in the way that we do life with each other. They haven't. We're still operating in a worldly way with each other. And it creates all kind of relational chaos because we don't know who we are in Jesus. So it actually has really huge implications. My friend Eric, who just he left to go over to speak to the high schoolers, he said this to me a long time ago. I've never forgotten. He says there's two kinds of people in the world. When, when a person walks in the room, you're one of two people. One type of person is a here-I-am person. And when you're a here-I-am person, you walk into the room, and you're trying to get identity from the people in the room. You're trying to be liked. You're trying to be affirmed. You're trying to establish that you are somebody maybe. You're trying to figure out where you fit in in relationship to everybody else. You're wanting them to feed you. Okay? I know what it feels like to be that guy. Said another guy, though, is a there you are kind of person. And that's the person who is so rooted and grounded in their identity in Christ and that is securely anchored to those truths to such a level that it's, it's impacted the way they think about themselves, that they can walk into the room and not try to get anything from you, but they can just look for ways to give and see you and notice that maybe you need somebody to, to love you today or to see you today, to, to give you a sense of hope today, to stir you up to love and good deeds today. Like Hebrews said, should be something that we're constantly trying to do with each other. It's really hard to do that for you if I need you to be giving something to me. You with me? So it's like hugely significant stuff. So I thought about, like, what does this mean for us even as we, we land the plane here? Um, 
Maybe some of us need to revisit if we've kind of unhealthily latched on to some aspect of the world's identity system for us. Maybe that's messing with us in some kind of way. Um, again, it's such a wildly diverse age group and people in different seasons of life, but it, that jumps up on us at all different times, doesn't it? As a teenager, it jumps up on us. It, at, in our 20s, 30s, our 70s, it can sneak back up on us where we start to try to prove ourselves again or, or try to, try to uh, get other people to say something about us. Is there something like that going on inside of you today? Is it maybe just you've never read a book about the things that God says are true about you? Just maybe it's time just to get a survey of what does the Bible say is true about you in Christ and be able to meditate and chew on some of those things. I don't know what it is for you, but, but something. I know that I regularly need to keep doing a survey of how I'm thinking about myself and what I'm buying into. The world says, and this is the last thing I'll say, and then we can stop. The world says, find yourself and you'll find your life. Jesus said, lose yourself, die, and you'll find your life. Just completely opposite, opposite directions. So as I'm trying to figure out for myself what it means to, to continue to die to myself and die with Jesus and be raised up into this newness of life, like I got to keep working on that myself, how many, how many different opportunities do we have to try to encourage that into other people's lives? Again, not by judging them, not by trying to fix them, but by just, especially if we have kids or, you know, we're, we're around people that are struggling to give them Christian hope, to talk to them about what does Christ say can be true about you by following him and separating ourselves from the, the chaos of what the world is offering us when it comes to identity? Okay. That's my amen moment. Yes, sir. And you're going to ask people to pray, right? Am I going to ask people to pray? I think I'm going to do that. I'll pray. You pray for us in a second because what I'm first going to ask is, does anybody have anything they want to say? Or a question they want to ask. And then what's your name? Nicholas. Nicholas. Then Nicholas is going to pray for us. I'm up here sweating and ranting and editing in my mind of things I want to cut out. Yes, ma'am. What did I say about the man that I visited in jail? Did I tell you all about that? What did I say about that? I don't even remember. <laughs> and he wants an egg sandwich, a fried egg sandwich. That's why I told you guys about that. Yeah. What do you want to know about him? <laughs> oh, yeah. This is, this is a, that's a good one. So this has, that has nothing at all to do with what we just talked about, but I guess I didn't say the question had to be about what I just talked about. <laughs> Because this is a good one. This is a whole, this is a whole other topic. Uh, Amy and I were sitting in church at a church we had just started going to. And the announcements were coming on. And you know how announcements are. Like, you don't listen to most of the announcements most of the time. Uh, and so it was just kind of that part of the service that was just going by. And they started making this announcement about a guy who had come to Christ 
And shortly after he came to Christ, he got put in prison because he had killed somebody. And uh, he was reaching out to our church for someone to be a pen pal with him, okay, as I, re- as I remember it. And so that announcement came up, and it's like, whatever, okay, I'm just here waiting for the sermon to start. And uh, like the next week, they made the same announcement. And the next week, they made the same announcement. And I can remember sitting in the back um, and just thinking, all right, like I'm getting tired of hearing this one. Like somebody needs to write the guy, right? Somebody raise a hand and let's move on so we don't have to keep doing this one. And as I was sitting there thinking that horrible thing, it was like the Spirit of God said, well, you write. In fact, I was writing a ton because I was doing schoolwork stuff. Like, you write? I'm like, yeah, but I don't write prisoners. I, I minister to athletes, and that's not my ministry. That's somebody else's ministry. And the Spirit said, yeah, but you write. And I think I said somewhere you ought to be watching out for prisoners and widows and, and folks that never put on game uniforms, but that actually you're supposed to have some responsibility and accountability towards. And the next week, and so I was a mess at that moment during the service. And I just kind of hoped still that it would go away. But the next week it came up again. And I was like, all right, let me talk to that guy. So that was 18 years ago. And uh, I've been going to visit him once a month ever since. And the message for me in that was, and why I think, again, that it's kind of relevant even to any of us, is to, to not put limits on how God might want to use you. Because sometimes we get stuck in this rut of thinking, again, as we think about ourselves and think about what we're good at or not good at, what our ministry calling is or isn't. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have some boundaries on that, but I need to keep my hands open to maybe God wanting to do something that I'm not expecting, right? That's not that radical of an idea. Or maybe I need to serve in a way that just for a season. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that my ministry is now prison ministry, but for 18 years, once a month, my ministry has been prison ministry. <clears throat> so, it's good to visit a prison every once in a while, y'all. It'd be good for your soul. Now it's going to come up. You're going to go back to church, and some prisoner's going to want something now, and you're going to have to go see him. Because of this moment, you're going to feel convicted to go, okay, what else? Yeah, yeah. So she's asking how, how to be less judgmental. So the girl in the airplane, jetway, like how do you cultivate a lack of judgment? Because it's easy to judge those moments, right? It, it is, yeah. No, we look around us. Or to judge people who are on the other side of whatever the tracks are. Because we've all got different tracks. And we've all got some people that are on the other side of them for us. So what do we do? I, so I can, Molly, you're asking me. Uh, I have reflected on God's holiness, which has been super helpful because it has reminded me of how wretched my insides are. 
and how much I do not deserve to have any access to any of this truth or any of these things that have set me free. And that hum- we're all just, Paul said, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. And so all of us as humans are just, we're all looking for the same stuff. We're all broken. And we're doing it in all kinds of crazy different ways. And some of those ways I agree with and some I disagree with. But like, who am I to decide even how many pictures that girl should take of herself? That's not my business. She's looking for the same thing I was looking for and still would be if it wasn't for Jesus. So I do that work. I do that mental work when I'm at my best. When I'm at my worst, I judge her. When I'm at my best, I work my way through that. And, and remember that Jesus stood up before Jerusalem and all these people, they were getting ready to kill him and felt pity in his gut for him because he knew they were like sheep without a shepherd, right? That, I, I reflect on those things. Say, okay, okay. Anything else? Ma'am? Yeah, yeah. She's saying that we live in a very entitled culture where we feel like we deserve things. It's interesting. For some reason, I was thinking about this today. Again, maybe it's because it's a little bit of an older crowd here. Like, I grew up hearing that I deserve a break today. <laughs> right? I, I grew up hearing, have it your way. Who had, who had the have it your way burgers? That was Burger King. Remember Burger King? I mean, that was like the soundtrack of my childhood, that I should be, that I'm the most important person, the most, I used to watch this thing on PBS and the, the opening song was the most important person in the world is you. Remember that? Some of you do. Yeah, so look, this is, this is something I was thinking about yesterday too. And even, even this even goes with the whole judgment thing. If you remove God from the picture, if you remove God from the picture, then all you really are left with is to try to climb to the top of whatever the ladder is that's being put up against the wall and to fight your way to get there. That's what, it, that's what a materialistic worldview is. There's no spiritual life. There's no God to be accountable to. We're just all at war with each other to get to the top of the ladder. And even the reason and when we get into all this the gender stuff, like we mentioned, and pronouns and all these different games that are being played with language and redefining things. Like I've gone deep into this stuff in the last decade. And it comes from a worldview that says there is no God. And what we're going to try to do is erase any lines that have been drawn by other human beings to try to contain us in any kind of way. Like that's real. There is a real ideology that is being promoted and pushed at every level of our society by people who don't believe that there's a spiritual life and who do believe then that other human beings are trying to control us. 
So wherever there's lines where I don't like them being drawn, I'm going to erase them in whatever way I can. Well, that's just godlessness. That's just godlessness. That's living in a pagan culture that does not believe that there's a God to answer to. The reason why we can be okay with lines is not because they're drawn by one political party or the other. The reasons why we, are, we adhere to lines is because there's a God who's drawn some for us. Well, it makes sense that we would say yes to that. If you're a Jesus person in here, you say yes to that. Why would we expect everybody else who doesn't believe there's a God to adhere to lines being drawn? We shouldn't. We should expect them to do really, really wicked things in their pursuit of trying to make sense of life without God. I'm getting into crazy deep water right now, aren't I? It is important. So what is, what is my role in the world right now is not to try. And I, look, I, I'm a culture studies geek. I have a Ph.D. in American culture studies. I don't know. I, that probably wasn't even said. I'm, I'm like Ph.D. level geekiness when it comes to thinking about this stuff. Okay? And trying to figure out what is my role as a, Chris, as a Christian in this world right now. Is it to draw battle lines with people? Some Christians feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be engaging in culture wars. And I, I, I don't know. There, there may be a justified place for that, okay? I think my, my role as a missionary is to try to be leading people to Jesus and to help them see a lifestyle and a worldview that transcends anything they've ever experienced before by people called Christian. You know, there's lots and lots of deconstructing going on and people walking away from the faith and lots of bad press because of Christians behaving badly. Like, that's real. That's real. I've been a Christian who's behaved badly in situations before. It's real for all of us. My goal is to wake up every day and walk with God in such a way that the people that interact with me run into Jesus. As crazy as that sounds in my broken Polish body, that's what I think I'm supposed to be trying to do not fixing the girl who's using her phone to try to construct an identity, but if it would have been appropriate, and I thought about doing it. Again, I was already struggling with being a creepy guy. I did not want to get taken off the jetway for anything inappropriate that was going to happen, but I wanted to just say to the girl, you're a beautiful girl. Stop trying to fix your hair and face and everything like that. Okay, but beyond the fact that you're a beautiful girl, there is a God who has created you in such a way and loves you in such a way that you don't have to spend any more energy on trying to fix something for them to like you, right? That's what I wanted to say to her, and I envisioned myself doing it, and I was like, this is, that's, it's not good timing. But if I had access to her, I hope in, a, in an appropriate way, that's what I want to say to her. And y'all have a gazillion opportunities to do that in your own ways, with your, in your own spaces, Right? All right, let's come back tomorrow and look at Daniel, who was a really cool dude who found himself in a really pagan culture and made a huge difference because of some decisions he made. A lot of you are familiar with him, but let's come back and walk through that text tomorrow. Nicholas, will you, will you pray for us nice and loud? <clears throat> Father God, thank you for your son. He made a promise. 
is indeed amazing that you are gracious, you are holy, that you have made Jews because of you. Lord Jesus, pierce through our hearts, pierce them deeper than the nails in fear that pierces you. Give us wisdom, increase our faith. Amen. My man. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you.